0: Today's episode is brought to you by Art Street Collective. Coloring is a great way to decompress and de-stress. Art Street Collective artists have several coloring books available from whimsical and cartoonish to Celtic knots and kaleidoscopes. Visit the Art Street Collective website to see all the books available at artstreetcollective.com. Thank you so much, Art Street Collective. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 78 of the She Naps Podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about teaching children to sew with my guest, Annabelle Wrigley. Annabelle Wrigley is an Australian mom, author, and designer living in rural Virginia. She owns Little Pincushion Studio, a space where she teaches children everything they need to know in order to go forth and conquer the world of sewing and creating. When she's not teaching, she's working on her We Love to Sew series of books published by C&C Publishing. She also teaches classes on creative bug and designs fabric for Wyndham Fabrics. Annabelle Wrigley, welcome. Thanks, Abby. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great talking to you. So, um, I'm going to talk a little bit first. I want to talk a little bit first about your background. You you are not originally from Virginia. We'll we'll hear your accent, so uh, you give yourself away. Um, you came to Virginia, where you live now, from Sydney, Australia, a little mm-hmm. over a decade ago. What prompted that
1: move? Uh, it was about how old's my son now? He's 16. So it was about 14 years ago, and. My husband had an opportunity for a job over here and um, I had two small children. My son was two and my daughter was just a baby. And we just thought we'd come over and have an adventure while while we could and while the kids were young and that it would only be a couple of years. And 14 years later, <laughs> we're still here. So it's wow. all good. Yeah. yeah.
0: What kind of work does he do? He works in um, IT. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so, um, so you weren't expecting to stay. Um, was was it a big transition? Like, do you remember that first year? I mean, it's hard to move anywhere with an infant and a toddler. I'm assuming, but um, do you remember the transition in those first few years and what that was like?
1: Uh, it was really hard. It was a lot harder than I thought it would be for sure. It was, um, it was a really different area. I'm from the northern beaches of Sydney, and. Uh, it was it was difficult because I didn't have any family and I thought that I would be totally fine and I'd make all these friends and it was a lot harder than I thought and it was also difficult to not be um, you know working as much and have my hands you know on the sewing machine all the time Um, it was kind of difficult and I also you know in the the early years I was not allowed to work in the United States so um, that made it kind of the transition really hard because I'm, I'm quite a busy person. So I like to always be working and making. So, so it was hard. Had you sure. been,
0: had you been to the U.S. before just to visit?
1: I had been um, to the U.S. to visit and tour it around, but I had not um, been to Virginia before, uh, but my husband had, and we had friends in the area. So we thought it was the perfect place to settle. And um, yeah, and I mean, we love the little town that we live in. It's very quiet and and wonderful. But it took a few years, definitely, to be able to feel settled. for Yeah, sure. I
0: imagine. And do you go back to Sydney frequently?
1: We go back. I just got back, actually. But um, we generally go back um, every couple of years. And um, or my husband will take one child or I'll take one child. It's quite a big trip to do regularly. But but my entire family is back there, so I do love to go back and see them.
0: Yeah, I imagine so. So you were trained as a nurse, is that right? Right.
1: Yes, I was. Um, I went to nursing school straight out of high school, and then I um, ended up in psychiatric nursing, and I did that for several years. What does that Um, mean,
0: psychiatric nursing?
1: um, It means that I worked with people that, that have mental illness. And I worked on a team that was out in the community um, visiting them and uh, we'd go around in the car and visit them in their group homes or in their apartments and administer medication and counsel them and that kind of thing. So I did that for several several years actually. Yeah. Okay, and this was
0: while you were in Sydney?
1: This is while I was in Sydney, yeah.
0: Right. And what drew, I'm wondering what drew you to that. That sounds like a, I mean, it it takes a very special kind of person, I feel like to have the level of compassion and patience and things that do that sort of work.
1: I, I loved it. I found it really fascinating. Um, talking, you know, just talking to people and, and talking about their experiences and really sort of getting in there with the counseling. I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, in Australia, there at that time, there was a really big push to um, bring a lot of people out of the institutions and back out into the community. So it was a really interesting thing to be a part of um, a lot of these people that were coming out of, even out of prison, um, coming into the community and getting them set up and counselling them and learning about their lives and and helping. I mean, I really loved it. It was quite a stressful job, I won't lie, but I did. I did really love it until I had my son and that was when I went on maternity leave and I just realized that the, you know, the adrenaline rush of the constant kind of unpredictability and a little element of danger, which was really fun when I didn't have kids, all of a sudden became something that I just didn't want when I had kids. So that's when I had a massive career change and I just, I didn't go back to nursing after that yeah as much as I loved it I can totally
0: understand that I think um I used to be a teacher and um and I taught in the inner inner city for a bunch of years and um I understand what you're talking about about that sense of adrenaline rush but also a little bit of sense of danger right also it's very exhausting um even though it's really important work and good work um and maybe work you were really suited to uh somehow when life changes it doesn't fit again yeah
1: it was almost like I would come home in the evening, and my husband would know that I would just not want to talk for a couple of hours, right because you know you've gone through so much talking and so much stress and it's exhausting, and you come home, and you need to sort of kind of <laughs> release you know and just sit quietly for a couple of hours and even though that was wonderful when I didn't have kids, it was just i couldn't I couldn't put my energy into that anymore once I had him. You know, it was it was like some weird creative shift happened in my life. And um, yeah, yeah,
0: I think you're not alone in that feeling. I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to um, once they become a mother. And um, but do you feel like there's some elements of that period of your life that do carry over? And we'll talk obviously more about what you're doing now Mm -hmm. and and the new career you've built. But are there things like strains that you recognize that you say, oh, you know, I learned that then?
1: I, I really do I, I don't want to say that I'm always analyzing people at all <laughs> but I think but I do feel that it helps me um, I do feel that it helps me in my relationship with the children that I teach and kind of um, have an understanding of a lot of them and what they go through on a day to day basis um, you know because I see these children for every single week for sometimes I see them for years. so um, in that way I think it's been really good to have that background actually.
0: Yeah. And you see them, and we'll talk about this, but you teach after school, Uh um, you know, sewing classes. And so um, I used to take art classes as a kid and my kids take after school sewing classes. And um, so you're seeing them, you know, in kind of a relaxed state. In other words, there's no grades. Um, nothing's Mm -hmm. due, you know, there's not a real high stake situation. And Mm -hmm. I know from taking many art classes myself that sometimes during art class, when you're all focusing and working on your own things is when like the best conversations come out because, you know, it's, it's almost as though it's not like anonymous, but it's almost, it almost has that same feeling of like, you can just talk and, and everybody's looking down and focusing. Um, so you probably, yeah, so you probably are privy to
1: some good conversations there. Yeah, and, they know, and the girls know that um, that what we talk about during class is completely confidential and that it's a very safe place to, to speak.
0: How do they know
1: that? Is that something that you express? I tell them. I tell them that. So it's a safe place. Nobody talks about other people and no one's allowed to say anything mean about other people. But sometimes the girls will come and, and they will have developed relationships with each other even though they're all from different schools and different walks of life. And sometimes someone will start talking about something, and they'll feel comfortable enough to you know have that discussion and and they know it's a that it's really safe and but they also do know that if they tell me something that I feel is puts them at risk in any way or that I think is something that their mother really needs to know, then I will tell their mother, but that's only you know they know they know that I make that really clear to the yeah. kids and having and that- that's only happened once that's only happened oh, wow. one time where wow. I had to go to a mum and say i'm um, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about this particular thing, so. Right.
0: But having that other adult um, in your life, you know, who you can trust and who you know is a good listener is so important for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's a great role
1: to We fill. have a lot of – there's a lot of tears in the back room that happen here. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot uh, – there'll be a lot of, are you all right? Do you need to go into the back room? And they'll be like, yes. And there's a lot of, like, teary conversations in the back room. But, you know, I love that and I, I'm – Really thankful for the relationship I've developed with these children that come to me. Um, you know, so, so in that way, sometimes when I have new parents contact me, they'll ask me to tell them all about what happens in class and how structured it is and how it works, and and I kind of have to sort of sometimes say, it's it has become a bit of a sewing circle. So think of it that way. It's relationships are formed, skills are learnt. You know, there's a lot of conversation. And I love that we're, we're part sewing circle and then we're part, you know, we're learning at the same time. So Absolutely. it's really important to me.
0: That's wonderful. And I think mm-hmm. for people who are considering maybe starting uh, to teach sewing classes to children in their own areas, I think that's really inspiring to hear how you set the tone and that you do sort of encourage or allow for that opening up um, and relationship development and trust in the class, um, that it, that you expect it to be more than just, and now we're going
1: to sew the front to the back. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to know about them and and they want to know about me and we're together every single week. So, um, I love that connection. I just think it's really wonderful. love all those kids.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's great. Um, and you have two children of your own, which we referred to already, (laughs) Ruby
1: and Oliver. And Mm -hmm. how old are they now? Oliver is 16. He's almost 17 and he will be a senior this year. And Ruby is 14 and she will be starting high school this year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They're growing up. So um, so your grandmother sewed, but you didn't Mm -hmm. really sew as a child. Is that right? I didn't. I was a little bit younger than my sisters. And so they learned how to sew from her. Um, I was also a little bit naughtier than my sisters. (laughs) And I didn't, I kind of watched with interest, but I wasn't, I wasn't sort of as, I didn't gravitate towards it like they did Um, at an early age. I liked to make things and I was really intrigued by fabric and colour, but it wasn't something that, you know, I was really encouraged into. And so I didn't, I didn't really get the love of it until later, but I do, you know, I think about her and I, I really wish that we had had that sewing time together when she was alive um, but she did. She was an amazing seamstress. She was, she made all the prom dresses. She was great.
0: And did your mom sew?
1: My mom sewed a little, but I wouldn't say I really remember her sewing much when I was a child. No. Mm-hmm. My mom doesn't sew at all.
0: And yeah. actually my grandmother didn't sew either. And so um, there wasn't anybody to teach me. It was just uh, me learning in home in eighth grade. So yeah.
1: Yeah. So there is We sew- did a lot of yeah, we did a lot of tapestry together, uh-huh. you know, with a lot of cross-stitch. She would spend time working on that with me, but not so much sewing as much.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you yeah. got much more into sewing when you became a mom, when Oliver right. was born. And then right. and then with Ruby, teaching her to sew when she was ready to learn. So, right, right. Um, So how did that sort of, you know, just working with your own children, how did that lead to a business in teaching people, teaching children to sew? Like, how did you go from just doing that at home for fun to saying, okay, I'm going to start teaching other people from outside of my family?
1: Right. Well, well, it really all goes back to when I had Oliver and um, my friend came over with her baby and her baby had this, the cutest hat I'd ever seen on. And I said, oh, that hat love that hat (laughs) she said oh it's by some designer and it was you know a $200 hat and I thought well I'm not going to pay that for that hat I'm going to see if I can work out how to make that hat so I got some felt and a staple stapler and I stapled the whole thing together and I gave it to my mother-in-law because she was amazing at sewing and I said can you teach me how to make this so we made a pattern she I got a sewing machine and she taught me how to make it so I made a few for him and then you know people asked me to make them for their kids, so I made some more, and then then it snowballed, and I started selling them at markets and um, shops, and then I started making bags and baby clothes, and I sort of taught myself, and then I um I got a, a sewing helper and a cutter and a pattern maker, and we I started this little clothing label in Sydney, and. And what was, was that, what was that it, called? It was called um, Baby Olive. And then when I started doing um, some older children's things, I changed the name to Olive and Friends. And it was really very market-based. Um, you know, handmade markets are really big in Australia. And so I would go and sell out every single time. And I'd kind of gotten to this point where it was getting really big and it, it was scaring me a little bit. And that was when the opportunity had come up for us to move here. So I kind of put the business to sleep and moved over here
0: when you say it was scaring you what was what was frightening about that
1: it was growing so fast that I had to start thinking about um, you know I think it's probably a similar situation here where a lot of manufacturing started to go offshore not as many things were being made in Australia anymore and a lot of the mills had closed down the factories and there, there were a lot of factory workers around that were looking for work but I was going to need to start having larger quantities made, and I was going to have to start thinking about offshore manufacture. And I was just not ready for that yet because it happened so fast. <laughs> I didn't, I was like, oh, and by that time I had a, another baby. And it, you know, I thought, okay, well, we'll go away for a couple of years and I'll just really think about what I want. And then when I come back, I'll pick it up again and we'll see what happens you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, we moved over here and I started sewing a lot and I would just sew for friends, um, because I needed to keep doing it. And I would sew clothes for Ruby when she was a baby and I couldn't legally work. So I wasn't sewing as a business.
0: And just to clarify that was because
1: you didn't have a visa. I didn't have a work visa yet at that time. My husband was here on a specialist visa, so I didn't have a work visa yet. And, um, And so then it wasn't until sort of years later and Ruby was maybe seven um, that I started teaching her and I had gotten my work permit by then and she would watch me sewing. I had a room set up and she was wearing all my clothes that I was making and she was interested. She was kind of wondering what was going on and could she try it. So I started teaching her and then I started teaching Couple of her friends, and then um, I, you know, I started it. I did a brief stint teaching at another place, um, but I really realized I was better t- working for myself. Um, and why and so,
0: is that? You just wanted to do it from home, or was there
1: another I, reason? Um, it, I needed more control of what I was teaching, I needed to have control of how many students I had. I needed to be able to build my own curriculum. I needed, and I knew that I needed to do it myself, that I could do it exactly how I wanted it myself. So that's how I, you know, I taught at another place for a very short period of time, but then I um, moved to the front room of my house. I live in a little cottage, but we carved out a space and I set up a classroom. And the numbers just really grew from word of mouth And from there, then we had this garage that had a mud floor and it was not big enough for a car. So my husband, the fantastic handyman decided, let's convert it. So we converted it into my studio and that became my studio at home for a while. And then it's just like a lot of things. It just really grew and grew and grew and I grew out of it. So I'm in my, I don't know what number studio I'm in now, maybe number four. And um, I'm looking forward to moving to an even bigger one pretty soon.
0: So when you're, you're those first classes back, Mm -hmm. back then, um, they
1: were after school classes or weekends,
0: after school?
1: After school and weekends.
0: Okay. And, and
1: was Ruby in all of them or? Ruby was in, Ruby was in most of them. That was when she really enjoyed being very involved in it. She's kind of now she's 14. She's not as into it. Um, she used to be my assistant for every class, but, you know, she did that for so many years. I'm not surprised she's a bit burnt out from it. Sure. Yeah. Um, but now I have my students that started with me seven years ago and now my assistants. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's that's worked out well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They've grown up with you. Okay. So, so at what point did you, like, what was the breaking point when you felt like, you know what, we should really
1: move out of the house? When. The breaking point was when the the lines between my home life and my work life became very blurred, and um, and the fact that children had to go into my house to use the bathroom that was another another thing as well. Oh, right. um, but it was there was no home life for me. It was work all the time, and you know I I felt like I had built up enough clientele um, that I could do it, and I had just written my first book. And I felt like it was the perfect time because I had that book behind me, um, you know, almost to give me that credibility.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes um, a book does that for you emotionally, like besides yeah. any sort of financial arrangement or or whatever, just um, knowing that you've written this book, it's like, well, this is actually a business now because I wrote a book.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And I started to think of it more, you know, less of a hobby and more more of a business. And that's when I knew that it was time um, to move somewhere and just really make it a business, like really go for it.
0: I want to take a quick break here to hear a word from our sponsor.
2: Hi, I'm Lyric Kennard. I'm a member of the Art Street Collective, a collection of amazing artists. Most of us work in textiles. We are together in one place on the internet so that you can come see our studios, browse our galleries, take our workshops, buy our art supplies, and generally enjoy a fabulous art experience from the comfort of your own home.
0: Right. And how many of you are there right now?
2: I would have to count. Let me see. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are eight of us, and we are from coast to coast. So have you ever been to a really great... Um, open artist
0: studio place. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, there's one here in Raleigh where I live. Um, I recently went through the arts district in Asheville, North Carolina, which was amazing. So you just wander from place to place, sometimes in an old rat's maze of a warehouse or from building to building, and you can meet and see such a myriad of artists and all the different work that they do. And it's such a wonderful thing to do, but we don't always have time to get out of our house and do that, right? So I love that you can do that virtually on the web.
0: Yeah, that's such a great idea. And if people want to come and check it out, um, where should they go?
2: The website is artstreetcollective.com. We have a bookstore. Most of us have publications, usually in the textile art or quilt world. instructional dvds Um, jamie fingal has a fabulous coloring book that is you're gonna love it if you're a sewist at all we have art supplies on our various websites we list our workshops together and you can also see links to the tutorials on each of our websites all of us are committed to sharing what we do with our audiences and promoting the art of sewing promoting the art um Promoting textiles as a medium.
0: Thank you so much, Art Street Collective, and now back to my chat with Annabelle. And can I? I'm going to ask two really boring questions, and Uh um, and if you don't want to answer them, that's okay. (laughs) um, One of them is around insurance. Gosh, that's very boring. I'm sorry, but um, I like I feel like um, uh, I'm very into risk management. So having Mm -hmm. little kids come into my my house and use sewing machines, well, that could potentially hurt them. Um, Did you have any? Did did that, like, did you have to get a new insurance
1: policy or anything? I worked with my insurance company at that time to, to um, sort of write that into my policy. Okay. So I was always really worried. I was like, do I need to have waivers? Should I have a waiver? Right. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people do have waivers. In my case, my insurance company said I didn't need to have one. Um, and, but that I was completely covered through my insurance. I think it's a good idea. Firstly, you need to, if you're going to teach from home, you definitely need to look at your town, the town rules um, regarding operating a home-based business because my um, class numbers were restricted because of the, of the laws of the area that I work in. So that's, I think that's really important for anyone who's thinking about a home-based business where people will come to your home depending on, you know, how residential your area is. Um, and also it's a, it's, you you know, the first thing you need to do is really check with your insurance company and make sure that you're covered for any kind of accidents
0: yeah absolutely because yeah. you don't want to get in trouble and you don't want to put your family's financial situation at risk should totally something god forbid happen and you know you should get sued or something like that so i know it's
1: my worst nightmare
0: it is nightmare. And you know yeah. i mean it could happen hey someone could slip on your on your walkway you know i mean yeah. it doesn't have to be with the sewing machine but sewing machines are particularly in irons you know i mean and scissors and rotary cutter. I mean, there's just a lot, right? That could
1: happen. We don't use rotary cutters in here at all. I will not. I mean, I use them, but the children are not allowed to touch them. And I don't really. I, even the older girls, I just, I'm not okay with it. So that's my. That's always been my big fear: is rotary cutters and children.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and rightfully so. And um, <laughs> and my other question was around um, sort of uh, incorporation. Did, so, did you at um, at some point incorporate, and in what kind of like um, corporate structure did you become? Did you choose to be an LLC or Yeah,
1: okay. Yes, I became an LLC. Okay. Yes, and that was something that only happened in the last year, oh. even though I it was something that was on my to do list for a really long time, um, and I regret that I didn't do it sooner and it was just, you know, it's really hard when you're the only person who runs your business and it's always there. It's like, oh, if I get a minute, I've got to get that done. I've really got to get that done. I've really, really got to get that done. And um, it wasn't until somebody did hurt themselves with a sewing machine that I was like, I did it the same day and it was so easy and I should have done it sooner. Right.
0: But, and, and you should have done it sooner just for liability issues so
1: that absolutely. you stop being personally liable for for what happens. 100%. Okay. And, that, and that, that's one of, that's like probably my biggest regret or my only regret in setting up a business by myself and really learning as I go is that I needed to become an LLC straight away. Okay,
0: so. that is such good advice. And thank you for yeah. answering my boring questions because that's although okay. they are sort of technical and boring, they are sort of the fundamentals and they're not the sexy stuff. And so they're the stuff fewer people talk about, but it is really important
1: to know. But I think a lot of people, and I get contacted, really often about people wanting to start their own studios. And I'm really transparent about it um, because I think everybody needs to know the pitfalls and the ups, the highs and the lows and the, you know, what it's really like, because I think oftentimes people have a really romantic notion of what it would be like in their head. And it's a lot of work. There is the messy business side of it that you need to really think about. Yeah, and when you're like me, and you just like the fabric, and you like the making, the business side is so hard. Well, that's to wrap most, your head around.
0: Sure, and most people get into this because they're like you, and they love to sew, they love to work with children, they love mm-hmm. creating, and so some of these other things. Like what happened, it sounds like with you, did you just sort of get pushed to the back burner? Cause you're like, oh, I just, you know, there's only so much time in a day and I don't want to work on that. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So you moved out of your house and what were you looking for? It sounds like you've gone through several um, studios that are outside of your house at this point and are, and are moving. It sounds like pretty soon, but what were you looking for in a studio when you did first move out of your house? Like, what did you need? What was important?
1: It was important for me to have a really big, wide open space. That was what I needed. I didn't want a space with a million different rooms at that time. I just wanted a big open white space that could be like just a creative dream. I wanted really good lighting Um, and and we found it. We found this amazing space and my good friend was looking for a space to run her business out of. So we shared this really big, gorgeous open space and she ran her, her business out of half of it. And then I taught classes out of the other half. And it was really the ideal first space for us. The light was magnificent. Um, We did a lot of my book photography in there because it was so great. And And it was really wonderful. But it did have a downfall. And that was that it had an elevator. And I never realized how many people were scared of our elevators. So that proved to be kind of a big problem. So
0: you were up on, on a, a floor, On a third floor. On yeah. the third floor. And so in order to access your classroom space, you had to take the elevator.
1: You had to take the elevator. There was stairs, but it went through a legal office. So they would have to walk through a legal office and, you know, architecturally the building, I'm still in the building, but architecturally that space was magnificent, but it was just not I couldn't make it work for kids, had a very old elevator and children got very scared of the elevator. And, um, and that, that was a problem. Yeah. Again,
0: like kind of not the most, um, obvious thing to think about, but, that is an important part of it. Yeah. Like, how are students going to access your space and, and what is going to be in their way and how hard is that going to be? That's important. Absol-
1: absolutely, because there are a lot of parents that have really big elevator phobias and that I never realized that people had. Wow, you know all about it. Se- <laughs> now it makes total sense. Yeah. And claustrophobia as well. Sure. And they just would not be able to come up at wow. all. Wow. Okay. So,
0: so then you moved and, um, and so now the new space that you're, you're going to be moving to, what do you, hopefully, okay, hopefully, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. (laughs) What are you looking, yeah, what are you looking for today? So this has been a few years now, seven years that you've been doing this and you've got lots of experience behind you. And I bet you look at at real estate with a a whole new set of eyes. So what (laughs) are you looking
1: at now? Okay. What I want now is, um, somewhere with an outdoor space. Um, oh. we've been doing a, a lot of, I'm really, um, interested in pursuing natural dyeing with the kids. We've been doing some shibori this summer, which is hard in a parking lot. Um, so I'm looking for an outdoor space. I'm looking for, you know, a, a little veranda. I'm looking for a, a freestanding house basically, um, that I can have a separate office in. The hardest thing for me is because I do other work as well. Um, in my current space, I have one big open space, but, I always have to pack away my work when students come in, so I'd like to have a space where I can work on my own projects and then have a really dedicated teaching space as well.
0: Wow. Yeah, that sounds ideal. Okay. Yep. That's good to hear. Um, and how many classes you know, in, in a day or in a week are you teaching? Like, What is the, the teaching schedule look like at Little Pincushion Studio right now?
1: Well, during the school year, it's two classes a day after school um, from Monday through Saturday and um and then on saturday mornings we do saturday mornings and then usually workshop schedule is i might do a workshop every month or two workshops every month and then i'll take the trailer out um usually once a month for a party but i'm hoping to just change my schedule a little bit to have a little bit more time off because because I work every day. At the yeah, moment.
0: that's so, uh, that's almost every day of the week. Do you? Yeah. And are you personally teaching all of those classes? Yes, it's only me. Okay. And you don't have, and it sounded like you had some assistants who were former yes. st- students who've come up with you, but um, do you have any actual like employees, full time or part time employees who help?
1: I have no employees. I do it all myself. Um, I have. I have, um, you know, high school students that are helping me at the moment and I have someone who's going to be starting, you know, in kind of an assistant role um, after school every day of the week during the school year and that's going to really help me with sort of the paperwork and the boring stuff and the emailing and all of that. Um, But I, I I just haven't been able to really find the right person to come and work here. I think it's really hard to find people that have kind of the same sensibility as you and, you know, approach sewing the same way. And so, you know, and I live kind of in a smallish town, so I haven't really come across a lot of people. Um, I have started having teachers come in and teach other things um, just independently in the space when I'm not in here. But for sewing classes, I haven't yet found the perfect fit.
0: Okay, and so how are the classes structured? Like, um, so I... I teach an adult class here locally in, um, in Wellesley where I live. And, um, mm-hmm. it's actually taught at a, a kids sewing center called So Easy. And all the other classes are for kids, but I teach, right. the, I teach like the moms who right. um, they get the sewing machine for the child for Christmas or for a birthday. And, and then the child's at home and needs help. And then mom's like, oops, I don't remember how to use this or I never learned. And so they bring in the sewing machine and I teach the parents that, how to yeah. use them. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And it's great. I've been doing it for, uh, I want to say five years now and um, I love doing it. Um, but as a result of teaching in this space, I've come to know how, you know, those kids' classes are structured. So I'm mm-hmm. curious to know for your classes, is it one of those things where we're all going to be sewing a skirt or, you know, we're all making this teddy bear, for example, or do you have like a whole library of projects and everyone's working on a different thing? Like, well, how do you structure that?
1: It's different all the time. I mean, I know all the kids, and I form classes based on who the kids are and ages. And usually I, I, I maybe only get each school year I might get another 10 or 15 new children, but generally the children that I had last year will be coming back this year. They, they tend to move on only when they become older teenagers. Um, and so the way we do it is the classes run in like a session and each session is six weeks. And in that six weeks, I will usually have maybe three or four projects that I definitely want to do that are definitely going to be skill builders that they are all going to do. Um, And then a lot of the rest of the time, um, you know, we talk as a group about what they want to make and we'll write a list for each class. And then I have a basket for each class day and I bulldog clip on there what all the kind of wish lists of things they want to make are. And usually everyone has to agree and sometimes there's a bit of back and forth and sometimes we'll come to an agreement Um, because sometimes I want them to choose something and us to work together either to work out how to do it or if we're making our own pattern to do that, we work together as a group to do that. Um, Or, you know, I pull out Pinterest and we're looking through and they're telling me, you know, what they're really into at the moment. And so that's kind of how I do it.
0: I see. Okay. And are you using um, commercial patterns? Like are you getting, you know, a pattern from simplicity? Are you making up all your own patterns? Are you using indie
1: patterns? Sometimes I use patterns but not all the time. I usually am that person who looks at it and then maybe changes it up. Um, So – I come up with a lot of my own patterns. Um, we work from my books a lot, especially when I get new girls in the class. Um, and we do sometimes work with some indie patterns for clothing, but I don't do a ton of clothing with kids. But it's really a mix. I mean, not not all commercial. I like to do a lot of my own stuff.
0: Okay. And I know at the, the center where I teach, they have um, – if you're a new student, so this is your first – class. Everyone's mixed together, but um, they actually end up having to come a little bit early and they um, all make, I think it's a drawstring, maybe a pillow first and then a drawstring Mm -hmm. bag just to learn to use the machine. Um, And because they've never used the sewing machine before um, at all. And so they just have to learn like, how does the needle work? How does the, you know, what is a bobbin? So do you have something like that, like a first project that everyone kind of has to graduate through?
1: Yes, absolutely. I have, Um, If someone wants to enter regular classes once they've already started um, and they want to join a class, they have to come and do a beginner workshop. And in that workshop, they learn how to use the sewing machine. They learn about sewing safety. They do some practice work and learn how to sew, you know, what a seam allowance is and how to sew with the edge of the foot on the edge of the fabric and how to sew a straight line. And then they complete um, a little crossbody bag, which kind of covers all those skills that they've just learnt. And you know, pinning and cutting and all of that kind of thing. And sometimes, if we don't do that, sometimes they'll make a pillow or like a big patchwork pillow. And then once I, you know, feel like they have those skills, then then they can join a class. Um, that's generally how it works. And those girls also complete a certificate, and I call it a bobbinology certificate. I just made that up. <laughs> but um, but they all get they all become certified bobbinologists once they have threaded the machine and threaded the bobbin themselves. So we do a little test. Okay. and once they've passed the test they get the certificate and we have like a you know, a whole ceremony type thing.
0: I see. Okay, that's good to know. And then um, as far as like, I know, it, so again, I'm just speaking from my experience at the sewing uh-huh. studio where I work. Um, there's also like uh, chores that the, um, the woman who owns the, the sewing studio has made for the students. So like at the, toward the end of class, like one person's in charge of winding bobbins and one person's in charge of mm-hmm. like um, putting all the pins away. They have like these magnetic pin wands and they mm-hmm. go around and collect them all. And, and anyway, do you have something like that sort of to help them to take responsibility for the space? Exactly
1: that with the magnetic pin ones <laughs> and someone is, someone gets scissors, someone gets the pins off the floor, you know, someone sweeps. Yeah, you, we always do that. I mean it's hard sometimes and my new classes in the fall are going to have a little bit of extra time. I'm adding about 10 minutes onto the classes so that we make sure that I teach them, you know, because I am teaching them to be respectful of, of not only my space but to learn to be respectful of their own sewing spaces at home. And, um, and of the equipment as well and how important it is to take care of the machines and, and how to respect fabric. Um, that's really important to me. So I do teach them that.
0: Yeah, I think that that is important. It's a, it's a big part of it. It's like, you know, you, you have to re- realize that, you know, these things cost money. And, right. um, and this is also a space used by other people after you. Um, and that sort of thing. So that's great. And, um, and do you have the kids um, cut out all of their own projects? In other words, do they do all the, all of the cutting and all of the pinning? Do they do all the steps from start to finish or are there steps that you sort of intervene in?
1: It depends on the project and it depends entirely on how old they are. Um, So sometimes I have them do the cutting, Um, But cutting can be really challenging for children, even though it sounds like it would be the easiest thing in the world. I mean, as you know, I'm sure it's they have a really hard time with it. Kids have a hard time with scissors. Um, So some projects, especially more fine detail projects, I'll do the cutting, but they do all their own pinning um, and everything, every other step.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so same at the sewing studio where I work, they do the cutting for the children. Yeah. And I always sort of wondered like, hmm, is that, is that the way, you know, is there a reason for that? But it, it sounds like that, that you're in agreement that, that doing the cutting and, and especially when accuracy is required, it is often too hard, especially for the the younger children.
1: You want kids to take home things that they're really, really proud that they've made. And some, and as much as I encourage children to, you know, express themselves through, the things that they make they also get so disappointed if it doesn't come out the way they'd planned and it's okay if it's a little bit wonky and a little bit crazy but sometimes the cutting is so way off if you let them do it that um that it it almost can't even be usable so if you can depending on what you're making if you can just get rid of that stage and give them the rest of it then they're going to come out with a finished product that they're really proud of
0: Right. I think that's important to hear. And what about mm-hmm. ironing? So at the place where I work, they only have one iron and I'm always like, wow, because they they actually have pretty large class sizes at times. Yeah. And, um, but there's only one iron. And I, I asked once and they said, well, we don't let the students iron. We do all of the ironing. So I just wondered, um, or at least most of it, maybe they let some of the older students iron at this point. I don't know. But um, do you have many irons and let everybody iron or or how do you work that?
1: I have, uh, two irons and I let everybody iron and I, the reason that I let the younger girls do it is that I have the, I have those, is it, is the brand Oliso? Oh yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have those irons so no one ever has to worry about standing them up.
0: Right. Um, Just just to clarify, these are irons where you set them down and when you're done using them, they kind of like, um, they pop up, they pop up like little feet. And so that they're, they're not going to burn the surface.
1: Right, and they're activated by your hand. So when you put your hand on the handle, they drop down. And those are fantastic for children. Oh, good to know. They're a little bit more expensive and they're, they're, they are a little heavy. But in terms of safety, I have not had one problem with those at all. And so I have, a, I have one um, long ironing board and I have two irons on that. I just have one area for ironing because I, I, I like to be able to keep my eye on them and not have ironing boards all over the place. So I just kind of have one ironing station and then those irons. Okay,
0: that is, yep. a, yeah, I think that's a great tip. Um, are there any other like tips that stand out to you that if you were, um, you know, advising somebody who was going to be teaching a class full of children how to sew on a sewing machine, how to make a particular project or something like that, that um, you're like, wow, you know, I, I, this is a random thing, but this really has helped me a lot.
1: Hmm. <laughs> any good tips? Um, Well, I just rename everything on a sewing machine. I think that's my biggest tip is that for me trying to get too technical with the names of all the part of parts of the sewing machine with younger children, they just completely tune out. Um, so we kind of make a game of the names of the parts of a sewing machine so that when I'm telling them to do something, they know exactly what I'm talking about. So, you know, a press a foot and a foot pedal can be very confusing when you say put the foot down. Um, oh, then they might put yeah. their foot on the foot pedal <laughs> instead of on the, you know, putting sure. the, so the, you know, the presser foot is the chicken foot. They love that. Cause it looks like some kind of crazy robot chicken foot and, um, and you know, the thread take up lever, you know, that, that is the part that, yeah. that often gets unth- unthreaded and they often forget to thread it. We call that, um, the groundhog in the cave and you got to bring the groundhog up to see the sunlight.
0: Okay, and, and we call that the goose head. Um oh, do you? Yeah. yeah. Cause <laughs> sometimes we call it the
1: caveman as well. It depends. It's like bring the silver caveman up. And it sounds wacky. Right. But it really works for them.
0: And even like um, you know, when you're threading when you're threading to to wind a bobbin, uh-huh. um the those the little um tension discs that the thread has to pass through in order to close uh-huh. the bobbin, and um we call that the belly button. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. right, and all of these things are, I think those are great. Um, they're important, and I'm sure when you first started sewing, you didn't really have those terms. Right. But over time, you've invented them because they just help kids
1: identify and clarify what they're doing. Yeah. I also use um, washi tape, and I'll stick washi tape all over the sewing machine with. Um, you know, like thread it here first or, because sometimes children, you know, they're so visual that even though there's a thread guide on the sewing machine, sometimes they need to like read it. It needs to say it like with, you know, in someone's handwriting and then they get it. So quite often I will just stick washi tape all over the machine just to get them started. And, And also with their machines that they bring in to learn how to use them, I will do that. Um, for them to take it home like that. So that just so that they remember, and then when they've gotten to the point where they feel really comfortable threading and doing everything, then they can take them off and, you know, they've graduated. So I find that really helps.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about machines. So um, Mm -hmm. I have two questions. One is first about, um, about the machines that you purchase, for the classroom and uh-huh. the one that you would recommend, um, for, you know, to purchase for students because there's so many machines in the market and, right. um... You know, it's, I think it's tempting, especially if you're not teaching in a classroom setting, but you just have one child or a grandchild and you just, you know, maybe buy like this sort of, um, it's almost like, it's not a toy, but it's like a kid's machine, you know. Um, I hate and them. I hate them too. I agree. <laughs> um, and so, and if you don't want to do that and, and you, and you, maybe you can say a few words about why you hate them and then what would you recommend um,
1: either for them or for a classroom setting? Right. Um, well, I have two. I have two different machines that I like. Um, I had the Brother 6 CS6000i. I had them for the studio. They're very lightweight, um, computerized machine, very affordable, um, really, really, really slow speed control, which is fantastic. Um, and they retail, I think, on Amazon at about 145. So if you're starting off a studio, they're a great, they're a great option, um, a cheaper option. But I did just upgrade um I was not planning on it but I was at quilt market and I saw these fantastic machines and it was like it was like the whole world lit up <laughs> and the angels were singing and um <laughs> That's a good machine. and I was like what is that and um and, um, and this is this brand of machine called ever sewn they're a totally adorable sewing machine with a little bird on them they look fantastic um they're very easy to use. They're extremely heavy, which I love because that's the problem with the brother. The brother is so lightweight that the children, when they lean on the extension table, can sometimes knock the machine over. Um, and
0: that's one of the same problems with the kitty machines.
1: Yeah, totally. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to take my brother machines, I'm going to put them in my trailer, and I'm going to replace um, them with the Eversone. So I love them. They are so quiet. They are very, very smooth, so many, um, so many stitch options but, you know, the easiest bobbin to thread, they're so easy to thread. They've got really great diagrams on how to thread them so, and the children really love them. That's great.
0: Okay. We are definitely going to link to this machine so that people can take a look at it. And hopefully maybe I can even find a picture of one so people can see how they look too because it sounds like they look good.
1: I always had a dream that I wanted to design a sewing machine for children Uh um, that could take them through to adulthood. Okay. That's a great
0: idea. But this is maybe it. And
1: this is it. And this is it.
0: Yeah. Wow. It's
1: cute. It's great for kids. Great speed control. And we'll take them through to adulthood for sure.
0: Wow. That's great. And and are you working through the dealer to get these? I mean, are you buying them on Amazon or are you working through- Okay. Yeah, I'm working through a dealer, yeah. Right, okay, mm-hmm. and that's another good suggestion too for people who want to be, you know, buying in bulk, um, mm-hmm. that you should work through a dealer rather than uh, buying them retail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. And also um, getting them service, right, because uh, they yeah. get a lot of wear and tear, maybe more so than a regular machine would.
1: Yes, and for just basic cleaning, I usually hire my teenage son to come. <sighs> he puts his headphones on and just comes and cleans everything for me, um, you know, once a month unless they need more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good tip too.
0: Um, so, um, and my other question was about, you had mentioned that when students bring their own machine in so that they can learn, sometimes you put the washi tape on it. Um, and so this is one of the things that, um, I, I've struggled with a little bit at the sewing center where I teach, which is what I was saying earlier. The, um, the students learn on the machines that are at the sewing center and they, don't bring their own machine in. And so often they'll actually purchase the same one so that yeah. they have some consistency between um, the class and home. But sometimes, you know, they'll have grandma's machine or mom will just buy a different one or, you know, grandma will buy one for Christmas and it, they, she didn't know which kind to get. Um, and so they have a totally different brand. And, you know, all yeah. sewing machines are basically the same. But they also all have their little idiosyncrasies. And so sometimes they get home and they they literally like can't figure out how to use it. Yeah. Um, And so anyway, it sounds like you've come up with some way for them to bring their one
1: from home in and get a lesson. I usually ask them to come in before class, you know, like 15 minutes before class and we'll run over how to thread it. Um, And, you know, usually they know how to sew. So it's just a matter of teaching them how to thread it. But I really am trying to, you know, open everyone's eyes up to the internet and YouTube because pretty much you can get a video on how to thread any machine on YouTube. So I'll I'll send them back with, you know, instructions to jump on YouTube and we'll have a little mini lesson on how to work their own machine. But that's generally, that's generally how it is, how it works here. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: think that's important for people to hear too so mm-hmm. um so let's talk a little bit about penelope um uh-huh. you've mentioned this trailer a couple of times and i'm sure people are curious about what you're talking about so mm-hmm. you have this trailer named penelope and it is the coolest looking thing i have ever seen <laughs> plus it's just such an amazing concept so tell us what it is and how you use it what it looks like all the good stuff
1: well, it's a, um, it's a little reproduction um, of a Shasta, I think it's a Shasta Air Flight trailer um, and it's pink um, to match my logo and I teach um, children out of it and I do birthday parties out of it and pull it behind the car and I had always kind of thought, wouldn't that be cool? That would, that's just the coolest idea. I'd love to do that one day. I mean, it'll probably never happen, but I'd like to do it. And I would always be on Craigslist and I would always stop when I saw a a vintage trailer for sale on the side of the road. And it just, it got to this point where they became so hot that I could not find anything anywhere. And I don't know, it was kind of like, oh, I think I'd love to do it, but I I wasn't sure that I would ever actually do it. And then I came across this guy who was um, reproducing them um, down in, north carolina kind of tennessee border and um maybe it's georgia and tennessee anyway he just does the most incredible job of these trailers and i started a conversation with him about it and then i was fully not intending to do it but then i was like i have to do it it's going to be great i you know i always bring it up to my students and their parents as well and say what do you think about this idea do you think this would work so everyone was really enthusiastic about it. And so he built it for me. And um,
0: and did he build it like custom inside so he, that it would be to your spec?
1: No. he built. So he built it so that the walls and everything were finished inside. It was just plain raw wood paneled with a, a laminate checkerboard floor. That's how I got it. And then over then the next few months um, I sketched out how I wanted it to be inside. And my husband – completely built it out for me exactly how I wanted it. Um,
0: and so what is inside of it? So if, I mean, I'll, I'll post a picture because okay. you, you have a picture on your site so we can see it. But for people who aren't looking at that right now because they're at the
1: gym or whatever, right, well, just tell right. us a
0: little bit about what it looks like in there.
1: That's okay. The so when you go in the door to the right-hand side, there's um, spanning the width of it is, um, most of the width of it is a bench with pillows on it. And under that bench is where I store all the sewing machines. Um, it's kind of got a pop open top. And then beside that I have shelving with um, a little lip on the front so that keeps everything in. And I have stacks, that keep stacks of fabric always in there. Um, And then I have some little shelves where I keep yarn. We've tried to think of things that are not going to fall down when we're pulling it. Um, And then we have spanning a large amount of the length of it down one side is um, a kind of a narrowish work table bench type thing with – um, attached by brackets underneath so that they can get their legs underneath. Um, and then I just have stools and, um, and then on the other side and, and all the work area is underneath a big vending window. Um, it's a huge window, so they have heaps of light. And then on the other side, um, I have air conditioning in there, air conditioning unit. So we, we built a box around that. And on top of that box, um, we put a cutting mat and a little ironing pad, um, and so it's plenty of space. I can easily have five children in there going at the same time. I do have a generator, but I tend not to use it. I, we generally plug in when we go to someone's house. We'll plug into their power supply. And um, it works really well. Yeah, and so you
0: just pull up the parties from 2 to yeah. 4. You pull up in the, and park in the driveway or, or right out front. And, um, and the kids arrive, they go in the trailer, yep. and they sew.
1: And they love it. It's, they have the best time in there and, um, it's fun for the parents and it's, it's such a novelty for them, but they still have heaps of room to be able to maneuver their work. And for parties, I do prep everything. So I don't have them cutting anything. I prep a lot. Because some of those
0: kids maybe have never sewn, you know, you might have a cousin visiting or something like that who doesn't live in town and has no familiarity at all. So this is going to be their first go.
1: Yep. 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 So it works out really well. The only thing I haven't mastered is backing it up. So (laughs) my husband has to come with me every time I do a party and he puts his bike in the trailer and he's usually researched the trails in the area. And so he will back it up for me and then he'll go off bike riding. That's amazing. (laughs) I know he's going to get tired of that at some point. Um, He keeps trying to make me learn, but I'm i very fearful. That's a little a scary.
0: Tr- yeah, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. You don't want to, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And But yeah. that just sounds to me, I mean, I, I want you to come to my house. That sounds so yeah. That sounds so amazing. So.
1: It's really, really, I and really have adults, enjoy doing it.
0: Like have adults, you know, so, some of the parents of yes. these kids asked to learn to sew? And what do you, have you taught adults? And, and how are you feeling about that?
1: I generally don't teach adults sewing. Um, I do teach adults macrame and weaving and other craft things, um, I just, I guess I've kind of always wanted to stick to what I'm good at and I re- and what I really love. And it's nothing against adults at all, but um, I, I just really focus on, on what I'm good at and that is teaching children. And so I've always, I've always stuck with that. I, you know, I know a lot of people with studios in the local area that teach adults and I'm always happy to send them their way. But for me, you know, someone once said to me, you know, you should stick to that one thing that you know that you can do well, and um, and that you really love, and that's what I love. I feel that I um, can relate really well to children, and that's what makes me the happiest. So I haven't I haven't really branched out to teaching adult sewing. Yeah. Um, but I do have a lot of parents that want me to come with the trailer and teach weaving in the trailer on a Saturday night. So uh-huh. I think that sounds kind of fun.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your your love of weaving. Weaving's uh-huh. had just such a massive comeback. I feel uh-huh. like right now, and yeah. I know that you've um, you've done some some teaching of weaving at different um, like retreats and that sort uh-huh. of thing. Um, so tell us a little bit about kind of uh, how you got back into weaving, and I know you have a creative bug uh, class on weaving.
1: Uh-huh. Um, I always loved looking at everyone's weaving <laughs> and I thought, oh, because I'm the kind of person that I see something and I must learn how to do it immediately. So um, I did a lot of research and I got a lot of books and I bought every vintage book I could find and just looked at a lot of stuff and, and learnt. I went to a, um, a really basic weaving workshop in Brooklyn, um, I can't remember how long ago that was, maybe a couple of years ago, and um, really loved it. And so that's how I started doing it, and I was just really doing it for fun for myself. And um, and then I think maybe it might have been one of the um, Heather Ross weekend workshops. Um, I you know I thought that would be a really great fun thing to teach, and so that was really successful. And I started teaching a bit here. And and then you know was getting asked to travel to teach weaving a little bit more so um or you know tapestry weaving so that's kind of how I started and I really love it I love the texture and the color and and all of that
0: yeah and I like that you're so open minded to saying like I'm gonna get into natural dyeing and shibori and weaving yeah and, you know sort of expand out not to focus on things that you don't truly love or a population yeah. you don't truly love, but to sort of decide to do, to follow your own interests and develop yeah. those into something that could be part of your business.
1: And then the kids see it and, you know, I'll hang something up that I've made and the kids will see it and then they'll be really, really wanting to learn it. And I love that. And I love that. Then I can teach them something new. Um, and, a, you know, a really modern, a modern version of, you know, macrame. Kids love it. Yeah. They're totally into it. It's so fun. So, you know, I feel like I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly going to workshops so that I can learn more, so that I can teach these kids all these awesome crafts. Um and that's just, you know, I'm I feel lucky that I have a job that I can do that. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. Um, but the help. Oh go ahead. But the weaving for Creative Bug was really fun. And um and it was a really fun way to sort of share how obsessed I am with it, with with all the creative bug people. So yeah, let's
0: great. talk about creative bug a little bit. Um, is that experience of filming an online class comparable to the other kinds of teaching that you've done for so many years, or are there things about it that really stand out as being somewhat different? And um, and how are you feeling about the the video component of teaching? Um,
1: uh, you know, I am so thankful to have those videos. And I am so thankful, you know, to work for a company like Creative Bug. It's been a really fantastic experience. And, you know, I was so terrified when I started. In fact, I'm terrified every time I do it, I'm still terrified. But they're just an amazing group of people and the quality of their videos is so beautiful. And I love that I can send, you know, my students in that direction. You know, if they're, can't come to a weaving class, but they really, really want to learn how to do that. And I can send them to that. Um, I think that's such a bonus and I love the idea of videos. Absolutely love it. If there was a way that I could do it here in my studio, if I was set up for that, I would love to do it because I think kids are super, super visual. You know, they're always on their iPad. They love to, to watch how to make things. So, I, I mean, I think it's a really great way of teaching for sure
0: yeah and it really adds so much to your brand because you have that, and then you have these we love to sew books with c and t of which there's, yep. there's four now, is that right uh-huh yep, that's mm-hmm. amazing and then um and then they you know pe- your your students and and families just must be so impressed by not only those things but now your fabric line with wyndham and yeah. um and that must just be so exciting for them and for you
1: it's uh i, I still can't believe it to be honest. <laughs> I look at it and I'm like, how did that happen? (laughs) Um, And I love that the kids all, I have it all on the shelf and that's what the kids sew with because they love it. They get to choose from any, you know, I have a wall of fabric and that's what they love to sew with, with that fabric. And that makes me happy that they love the fabric that I've designed and that their mothers love it too for themselves. Um, And I, I'm so thankful to have had the opportunity to work with such a great company as Wyndham and. Um, And it was a really fun experience. It was something I'd never done before and I'd never really considered myself an artist. So it was another challenge that I could set myself. It was like, right, I'm going to try this and I'm I'm going to try drawing. I don't know if I can do it. Um, And it was really satisfying to to do it all myself.
0: Did you um, connect, like how did you connect with them?
1: Um, I had met them, um, on a couple of occasions. I had met them at market. Um, I had met them through my friend Heather Ross and, um, really liked them and I liked what they were doing in fabric and I liked that they were a smaller, you know, a slightly smaller company and I really just loved the quality of their fabric. And so, um, I was really excited to work with them and to show them my designs and, So it was great. I'm so glad they love them.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. Well, congratulations yeah, on that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. And I just want to quickly get to, you have two recommendations. One of them was the third one was the Ever Sewing Machine, which we uh-huh. already got to. But, um, but you, um, you wanted to recommend a book that I also love, which is by Sherry Lynn Wood, The Improv mm-hmm. Handbook. Um, and Sherry was on the podcast, um, many moons, like a couple of months ago, but, um, uh, she's wonderful. And, and what do you love so much about her book?
1: I, I, it was when I found it, when I saw it, um, it was like, ah, oh, okay, so I can do this. <laughs> like, so people are, you know, it's not just me who, who loves this style of quilting. And, um, I love all of her quilts. I think they're visually so beautiful. I'm not a big rule follower and I, I get so stressed when I have to follow a pattern sometimes, um, because I, I really, I'm just so hard on myself, I, you know, about if everything's perfect, and my, you know, ideal of of making a quilt or patchwork is kind of just being really free with it. So that's what I love about her book. I mean, what's not to love? Really, yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it, and I love that it's a way that I can open a dialogue with children about about what is quilting and what is patchwork, and you know, what it means to them and how they can put fabrics together and it can be okay and how they can experiment and it can be beautiful and um, I'm really excited about it. I'm so f- glad I found it. I, I've been so busy the last couple of years that I, I hadn't been looking at all the books that were out there um, and when I came across it, I was just totally – thrilled
0: yeah and i show
1: them and it's
0: totally different from anything uh, you've seen before and it gives you permission to be yourself and to not have to cut everything in a straight line not use a ruler to sort of use your intuition and i just so
1: appreciate that yeah yeah i absolutely love it so it's been fun doing um some projects with the children with that kind of freedom um so it's, it's been great. It's a great book. So okay. I would recommend it. Yeah,
0: me too. <laughs> and your last one is actually a knitting um, recommendation. You're making the Pearl Soho um, Seed Stitch
1: Wrap. Uh, that's, you know, um, that's just the thing I'm obsessed with at the moment. Um, I'm not a knitter. I've always been terrified of knitting. And I've always thought I was really terrible at it and that I wouldn't have the patience for it. So I discovered this wrap and have been knitting it all summer. And it's my summer addiction. And I think if anyone's looking for a really easy, beautiful thing to knit, this is it. And it will probably take me until Christmas to finish it. But um, but for me, I always have to have my hands busy. And it's really hard for me to not continually be in my studio working on some new thing because I, I feel like I'm an obsessive, compulsive crafter of all things. <laughs> and so it keeps me at home just sitting quietly And it keeps my hands busy. And I I think it's a really great pattern for someone who really doesn't know how to knit, but who wants to learn.
0: Perfect. Well, Annabelle, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshing Ups podcast. It's been so terrific talking with you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it was wonderful. And if people want to reach out to you, um, what is the best way for them to reach you online? Where should they go?
1: Um, They can go to my website, which is littlepincushionstudio.com. Um, and my personal email details are on there and they can feel free to reach out or you can contact me through Instagram and that's at little Studio. and, um, feel free to reach out to me there. I'm happy to help anyone answer any questions. Um, you know, if anyone wants to, you know, call me up and talk about starting a studio, I'm happy to have a chat.
0: Oh, that's really generous of you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Abby. You've been listening to the While She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, WalshyNaps.com, where you can subscribe to my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And I encourage you to check out today's show sponsor, Art Street Collective. Visit artstreetcollective.com to find books and DVDs on surface design, art quilting, bead embellishments, and more by some of today's top fiber and quilt artists. Thank you, Art Street Collective. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I will see you next time.